How many of you have heard that passage before? Can I just, by raise of hands, how many of you have heard that passage? The majority of you, okay. It's a passage that we've heard often. It's a passage we've quoted. It's a passage pastors love to preach from. It's, it's one of those mainstay passages. And here's what happens when we, um, when we come across a, a part of the Bible that we've read time and time again. We tune it out. How many of you have ever seen a movie more than once? Yeah, there's parts of the movie that you tune out because you're like, ah, that wasn't really my favorite part of the movie. We do that with everything in life. We do that with the Bible especially. We read a story. We think we know what it's about because we've heard sermons on it. And so we feel like we're done. The truth is, though, that the Bible isn't just a book that you can learn and then be done with. If, if we believed that that was true, then there would be no need for us to even gather here and to even preach from the, from the scriptures on a weekly basis. Instead, the Bible is, it's, it's almost, there's different ways to look at it. One, an ancient Jewish um, tradition or image that we get of what the scriptures are like, it's like looking through one of those kaleidoscopes, I think that's the right word, where every time you look at it, the way the light hits it will give you a different picture or a different pattern. And so scripture is like that. Every time we come to it, although some things will remain the same, there will be times when we come to it that maybe something will just strike us a little bit different. And I hope that this morning, and really I hope that this entire series we've been going through on the, on the eight I Am statements of Jesus would do that for you. So let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for so many different reasons. Father, we are all here for probably different reasons. There are some people here, Lord, who just need to feel an extra special filling of your spirit. There are some people who are here, God, who don't want to be here this morning. And then there's still others who want to be here and who want to be filled by your presence. God, we know that you are a God of all of us. And so we pray that you would use this time to speak to each individual exactly what they need to hear this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In 2007, Carnegie Mellon University, I believe in Pittsburgh, um, had asked their professors, several of their professors, people who had been there a long time, and they asked their professors, hey, we want you to come up with a hypothetical last lecture. So if you had to give one final lecture, and this was going to be the last thing that you taught your students, we want to know what that message would be. So they handed this assignment out to their different professors. And so they had these lectures where these professors would be able to, to kind of distill their, their last moment uh, they had to of, of wisdom that they would, they would tell. It says, what wisdom would you try to impart to the world if you knew it was your last chance? And that was the question that was handed to these professors. And it was during that time, and, and you probably have heard this story, but Randy Pausch, I'm not, Pausch, I'm not sure I'm saying that right, he was one of the professors that was asked to give this lecture. What's interesting about this story is that this professor was actually diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and it was terminal. And so for him, it was no longer just a hypothetical, what would your last words be, but it literally became the last lecture that he would give. Um, they turned it into a book. You can probably go on YouTube and find exactly what he said. And basically, his, his lecture was, what does it mean to really achieve your childhood dreams? 
He, he wanted his children to know all that he knew, and he tried to sum it up in as basic a way as possible because he wanted to pass on the wisdom that he had learned over his years to his children. And he ends his lecture by saying, it's not about how to achieve your dreams, it's about how to lead your life. If you lead your life the right way, the karma will take care of itself and the dreams will come to you. For him, he wanted his children to live their life in such a way that they wouldn't have to worry about all the other stuff, but they know that they would live a life of integrity and a life of character. So for him, this was his final message to his students and ultimately to his children. It's important. For him, this was the most important lecture, and this is what he wanted to be remembered for. But there's another story, and I use this story to say, because the internet went nuts over this. I'm sure most of you who are on Facebook saw a link to this at least once over the last six years, seven years, however many years, four, seven years? Seven to 16? Nine years. Yeah, everyone was making a big deal about it. But there's another story that we want to look at that has similar implications, if not much more important ramifications for our lives. If you open up your Bible to John chapter 14, and I'm not sure I have a slide for this, it's just one line in the book of John chapter 14, verse 31. If you were here with us last week, last week we had our communion service. And so last week what we did is we did the... We, reenacted the foot washing that Jesus did in the final supper, in the last supper, and then we reenacted the eating of the bread and the drinking of the juice as a symbol that Christ is the one who sustains us and Christ is the one who gives us life and forgives us. So, 2,000 years ago, Jesus did the original last supper, the one that we see the painting of, even though that's, the painter wasn't there, <laughs> that painting was done hundreds of years later. But, but 2,000 years ago, Jesus has this final supper where he basically teaches his disciples the very best things that he has. He tells them to be servants of others. That was Jesus' message, not only to be a servant of others, but Jesus' death and resurrection would be enough for them so that they would have the assurance of salvation. But in the book of John, that happens in chapter 13 and 14. And chapter 14 ends with this, when Jesus says, Rise, let us be. On our way. Jesus had just had this important meal. Jesus knew that after this meal, he would be walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus would be, he knew that he would be arrested, and he knew that death was awaiting him. It was just hours away. And John chapter 15, 16, and 17 now kind of tell us what Jesus was telling his disciples on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. So just like this man, Randy Posh, who gives his final lecture, Jesus also is giving his final set of teachings, his final lecture to his disciples, because they were anxious. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen. They, they didn't really know what was happening even on Sunday when Jesus was already resurrected. They were still confused. There was anxiety. There was fear. There was uncertainty. So Jesus now takes this time, in a sense, to give these disciples, and ultimately give you and I today, a message of peace. And this is where Jesus begins in John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. This is the picture that Jesus is giving his disciples. 
He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He doesn't say our Father because Jesus was making the point that, that, that God the Father can be this personal God who wants to be in relationship with each one of us. It's not enough to just say God our Father, but God my Father. And Jesus is using this story as an allegory. Jesus isn't actually a vine. I hate to break it to you. God isn't actually a vine grower. And you're not actually a branch. But Jesus was using a very real example of his day to teach his disciples a deeper truth about reality. That's the entire Bible. The entire Bible is the Bible writers painting pictures of who God is painting pictures and showing us an idea of what this God is because we don't have the language to fully understand or express the greatness of who God is. So in April, when Jesus was crucified, it was very possible that as the disciples and Jesus made their way out of the place where they had the final, the Last Supper, as they walked towards the Garden of Gethsemane, it's very possible that they walked by vineyards. And it's very possible that Jesus could have maybe walked up to the vineyard and pulled a branch or pulled a vine off of it and then began to teach them because that's what was there in front of them. And so the question that we ask is when Jesus says that he is the true vine, if Jesus is the true vine, then are there other false or counterfeit vines? So let's talk about this for a second. If Jesus says that he is the true vine, the vine, and, and again, for most of us, I, I've never, I don't think, I've only ever driven past a vineyard. I am not a vine grower, so I don't know exactly how everything works. But to the best of my understanding is that the vine is where all of the nutrients are coming from, the water, the nutrients. It is the thing that keeps the branches alive. So if Jesus is the one true vine, Right? He is the one that has the nutrients. God the Father is the one who is maintaining this. So in a sense, God is, um, is behind all of the growth. So if Jesus is the true vine, then the word, in, the word in, the Greek, in the Greek is that he is the genuine. He is the only real vine. And so the opposite would be words like fictitious or counterfeit or imaginary. And what Jesus is saying is that in order for you to experience the fullness of life, for you not just to experience life at its fullest here on earth, but in the assurance of eternal life, it can only come from Jesus himself. Now, for those of you that are here, you're like, well, yeah, we know that, Pastor. Like, we've known that and we've been preaching that for years. But here's what's interesting about this. When Jesus refers to himself as the true vine... What he was actually saying is that although in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was referred to as a vine or a vineyard. Do you remember in the Old Testament, the Jewish people or the Israelites are called the chosen people of God. And they were chosen to be God's messengers in a world of darkness. Israelites, the nation of Israel was chosen to be God's chosen people, to be God's mouthpiece in this world. But you see, oftentimes, almost always, when the Bible writers refer to the nation of Israel as the vine, it's always because they missed the mark. It was always because they didn't live up to the calling that God had placed on them, and it was always in judgment because they were not bearing fruit. They weren't doing what God was asking them to do. So Jesus is making a revolutionary shift in the way people understood this. 
For us in 2016, it doesn't really mean that much, but in Jesus' day when he was saying, he says, it's not Israel that's the true vine where life comes from, but rather it is I. I am the true vine. Now what does that mean for us today? It means a couple of things. You know, we could, in a sense, say that oftentimes we think that the church is the vine. So what happens when people don't come to church? What, do, what are the words that we use when people stop coming to church? Oh, they've backslidden. Oh, they're not really Adventist. Or maybe they, they do things that we don't always approve of. It's, so, oh, well, they must not really be saved. You see, we use similar kind of language when we think that as long as people are coming to church, then they are good. But the reality is, is that that's not necessarily true. Because there are people who can come to church every single Sabbath their whole lives and still miss Christ. There are people who can read the Bible, and there are people who know the Bible well, but they only ever use it to argue against us, so they miss Christ in the Bible. You see, just because people come to church doesn't mean that they are good and that they are in for eternity. You see, there's nothing super sacred that happens in this building, and I know that might ruffle some feathers. What is sacred is what's happening when we come together to worship, when we come together to pray together and we pour ourselves out on behalf of God. That is what is sacred. But I guarantee you that if this church wasn't here and there was a tent in the parking lot, that would be just as sacred and really what the Bible teaches us is that because the whole earth is the Lord's, everywhere you as a Christian go is sacred space. Because everywhere as Christians, we must always try to honor and give glory to God everywhere we go. There is no doubt that something special happens here. No doubt. I mean, I, this is what I, I've given my life to serve God in the local church, so obviously I think something very special happens here. That's why, we, that's why we go through such great lengths to put together a worship experience because we want to be able to worship God in the very best that we can. But you see, Jesus is also taking judgment on us, saying don't for a second think that you're good just because you're in church. Don't for a second think that just because you're dressed the right way that now you're good and you're in and you don't have to do anything else. There's a false sense of security that comes to coming to church. It's something I've given my life to to say. It's not just by stepping into this building that makes you have a relationship with Christ, but rather it's what you do every single day. Are you living a life that is connected to the vine? That's what's important. We talked for at length for an hour this morning with our elders talking about how it's having this relationship with God that changes everything and breaks strongholds of sin and breaks addictions in people's lives. And it's only God that can do that. And you can only do that if you are connected to the vine, which is Christ. Church isn't what gives you life. It is the one whom we praise when we gather as church that gives you life. Don't ever, ever forget that. If there's nothing else you remember in my six years that I've been here, it is the one whom we gather to worship who gives you and me life. That is the message that Jesus was giving his disciples. If Jesus were alive today, I don't, I'm sure, I'm certain that Jesus would not use the analogy 
of, of a vineyard. I am 100% sure Jesus would not use that analogy, especially not the Seventh-day Adventists. I think Jesus would use an analogy, maybe, maybe, because I can't speak for God, right? I think Jesus would use an analogy of, of a power cord. And Jesus might say something like, um, the electricity that powers your devices, that's who I am. And all you need to do is plug in to, to get a part of that energy. Does that make sense? So God is the power source. And he is just asking us to connect to that divine power source that will give juice or energy or life to our lives. You see, because there's nothing sacred about the vineyard. It's just an analogy that Jesus was using. It's an allegory to try to explain to his disciples that true peace could come to them. Remember, Jesus was about to die. These disciples were going to have, they were going to start doubting that Jesus was the Messiah. They were going to doubt that Jesus was the Son of God because, whoa, now Jesus, our King, is dead on Sabbath. And Jesus says, just remain connected to the vine. Remember that God is the one who will sustain you and provide all the nutrients you need, but just remember not to lose faith and not to lose hope regardless of the situations that you are going through. Real quick, let's keep going. Oh, man, we got plenty of time. All right, here we go excited verse 2 says this he the vine grower so God removes every branch in me that bears no fruit those branches that bear no fruit are removed and so we need to ask this question again because Jesus isn't talking about grapes he's using it to tell us something deeper a deeper reality of life and so when we think about fruit we need to ask ourselves well what does it mean for you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, what does it mean to bear fruit? So we'll just let the Bible explain itself. So we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. So again, there is, there's two different ways of living that the Bible teaches us. You can either choose to live by the Spirit which is a life where you wake up every single day and you surrender yourself to Christ and you say, God, I trust you to lead me every single step of the day. And it's a continual coming back to, God, what are you leading me to do? What are you asking me to do? It's this, Paul would say, to be in continual prayer, which doesn't mean to walk around with your eyes closed praying, but to always be thinking about how is what I am doing either glorifying God or making God look bad. So you can learn to live by the Spirit and just say, God, please have your way in my life and lead me. Or there is the way of the flesh, which is the opposite, which is, God, thanks for all that you do, but I'm going to go ahead and make decisions my own way. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to gratify all of the desires of my heart, and I'm going to do whatever I want to. And so the Bible is clear that there's really just two ways to live. You can either learn, to, you can choose to live the way of God, which is surrendering yourself to Christ every day, or you can choose to live the way of David and do whatever you want, whenever you want, and try to, you know, do whatever. So Paul is saying, live by, and you know you are living by the Spirit if you exhibit these things in your life. Love, these are the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, some of you are saying, well, then I, not me, but you, geez, I must not be living by the Spirit because there are some days it's really hard to love people. And there are some days where joy just escapes me. And there are often days where peace is not found in my life. And, and for some of us, whenever we're in the car, patience is running on low. Kindness is difficult. Generosity, how much do we give? Not just how much do we give back to God as we give in our offering and tithe, but how much do we give to others? How generous are we towards others? How faithful are we to God and what God is calling us to do? Are we gentle? Some of us, it's harder to be gentle. And how much self-control do we have? You see, you could spend your entire life trying to be better at any one of these. And you might succeed at getting better at them. Can we just, can we just say that? Like, you can learn to be more generous. But for this to be a fruit of the Spirit, for you to know if you're truly being, if this is a fruit of the Spirit, is that they begin to happen naturally in you. You see, what the Bible writers are talking about here is that when you are connected to the vine, when you are connected to Christ, you have no other option but to begin to change because God is doing the work of recreating and reshaping you. And it's interesting, I'll just share a story from my, from my life. Um, some of you who are my friends on Facebook know that I've started to write um, one experience a day. So I'll post a picture and like a couple of sentences about a moment when I experienced kind of the fullness of life, where I experienced this sa sacred space or where I experienced God in my life. And so I've been doing that for 14 days. I'm going to do it for a total of 100 days, God willing. So hard to do, by the way. Not because God's not present, but because I, I, I keep hoping God shows up in different ways, first of all, right? I preach this every week. God's not always going to show up how you want him to, and I'm experiencing that. But here's what I'm realizing about myself in just two weeks of doing this. I experience a high level of frustration in my life. Frustrated constantly. But it's not just me, because I realize that when I post about my frustration or my impatience, people then begin to like, will send me messages and be like, I am right there with you. And I pray about it, and I'm just like, God, help me to not be so frustrated because I know that a part of being a fruit of the Spirit is patience and kindness. And when you're frustrated, it's really hard to be kind. And if it's hard to be kind, then you're probably not having very much peace in your life. And if you don't have peace in your life, then you're probably not being very loving. And if you're not being very loving, it's really hard to have joy. And if you don't have joy, then it's going to be really hard for you to be faithful to what God is calling you to do. And if you're not being faithful at, what, at doing what God is calling you to do, then you're probably not going to have very much self-control. And if you don't have self-control, then it's going to be hard to be gentle. And we could, we could go on for hours because these are all connected. So it's not just about getting better at one of these things. It's about connecting yourself to Christ daily. And it's God who will begin to work this fruit in your life. Because you can try your whole life to be perfect, and I unequivocally can tell you that you will fail. You'll fail. You're just not strong enough. The Bible tells us that if you could be perfect, Jesus wouldn't have to die. And if you could be perfect, there would be no need for forgiveness from God. But God knows that that's impossible. And so if you are connected to the vine, then you will be able to see these things in your life. 
Now, some of you may think, well, I'm pretty good at most of these. I would say ask the people who are closest to you which ones you are strongest in. <laughs> now, nah, don't do that because I'll start a fight. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is these things feel impossible to do, especially when you've been working an eight-hour shift, especially when you've, you know, maybe you're in an industry like in the hospital industry, and, and I see this because I, the few times I go to the hospital, nurses are overwhelmed with demands by patients and doctors and staffers and all kinds of things, and I get it, it's hard. I, I'm lucky that I don't have to work a similar type of job, so my frustration level is usually a lot less because, you know, I'm, I'm like a party of one and God. <laughs> But for those of you who are at work dealing with people on a daily basis, look, listen, I know it's hard. It's tough to be nice to people that are not nice back. But instead of focusing on that, focus on are you connecting to the source of life? And I think that if you begin to feel some of this, this levels of, of not wanting to be kind towards others, then maybe it's a time to take a step back and recenter yourself on Jesus and on the vine. And Paul says, if you live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. This is the prayer that you can pray. God, I want to be guided by your Spirit. Please guide me now. And it's not a, just a one time in the day, but it's a constant daily surrender to God. If you truly want to experience the fullness of life, then you must be surrendered and connected to the vine. You're going to hear me say that like 10 more times today. So then every branch that bears fruit, the vine grower prunes it to bear more fruit. Now this is one of those passages that is really, really quite, um, there's a lot of disagreement as to what it means. So reading different commentaries will say different things, and so it's one of those passages that's just really hard. Because here's why. If you are connected to the vine and you are bearing fruit, which it says right here, every branch... Every one of you that is bearing fruit, God prunes to make it bear more fruit. Now, one of the ways that we have heard this taught over the years is that the painful circumstances you find yourself in are God's way of pruning you. But here's why that's really hard to accept. If you're already connected to the vine, if you're already living a life that is surrendered to Christ, you don't need a painful experience to surrender even more. You're already surrendering. Really, the painful experience should be for the other ones <laughs> who aren't connected to the vine. So here's a better way to understand this, and it'll make so much more sense in light of the next verse that follows. But because we know that in, when it comes to agricultural, pruning something is just cleaning away. To prune something is to get rid of the things that are taking away the nutrients from you. So if you are submitted and surrendered to God, and I know it's a daily, constant thing throughout the day, God is going to do the work of cleaning away the things in your life that need to be cleansed away. Here's the thing. I can, I can probably ask all of you, every single person, to give me a list of three things that are getting in the way of your relationship with God. And I think that every one of us could list three things if we, really did, if, if we had this assignment in front of us. And if you're connected to the vine, God is revealing those things to you. But I believe that God doesn't only reveal the things that you need to get rid of in your life. And I know some of you are being convicted this very second. Right now, as we speak, I know the Spirit is convicting you of these things in your life. 
because they've been in your head for days or weeks or even months. But see, when you connect to the vine, you've been thinking of these things because you're powerless to get rid of those things in your life. Sin keeps a stronghold over us, and it makes it difficult for us to just say, well, I'm done with that. But if you connect to Christ, God will begin to do the work of disconnecting you from the things that need to die in your life. That's the gospel, that Jesus cleanses you. And if you don't believe me, let's look at this next verse. Another topic of controversy. See, you guys have read this story before. But let's look at this verse, and this one's going to be like a, tip, a difficult one to really preach on. It says, you have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Now, in 2016, when we have the whole story, we say, well, Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us, so we are forgiven. But here's what's crazy about this story. Jesus hasn't died yet. Jesus has not laid down his life to forgive us of our sins. Is it just me, or is this crazy for all of you as well? Jesus is saying, you are already cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. So I did tons of research. I read all kinds of things, and again, people cannot agree on what this means. And so the best that I can give you, and I would encourage you to, you know, do your own research on this one. The best that I can give you is this. Jesus says, you exist as I am. In other words, you are a reflection of me, and you are a reflection of my image. Thus I say, you are already clean. And this is true because of the word, and we remember, and this is in the book of John, okay? So a lot of other stuff is happening, but what does John begin with? In the beginning was the word, was Jesus and nothing came into existence that wasn't through Jesus. So he says, and this is true because of the word, which is actually me, the final word that declares you clean, innocent, guiltless, guiltless and without mixture. So perhaps what we could say about this passage and what might help us to understand it in the context is that being in the presence of Christ and being connected to the vine is a cleansing act in it of itself. So being in the presence of Jesus on a daily basis is the ongoing process of God cleansing you of the sin and the mistakes and shortcomings in your life. That's the best I can do. I don't know theologically, right? We talk about the death of Jesus, and so I think Jesus was prefacing what was about to happen. But I think what's more important is that Jesus, being in the presence of Jesus, is the cleansing act of God. We all need cleansing here this morning. But remember, even in the Last Supper, when Peter tells Jesus, Jesus, don't just wash my feet, but wash my whole body, what does Jesus say to him? You've already been cleansed by baptism. Again, Jesus hadn't died yet. But what these people were doing, what these first century believers in Jesus were doing, was entrusting their entire lives to Christ and what Jesus was preaching. And this story is about being connected to the vine, especially for the disciples. This was Jesus' message of peace to his disciples for what they were about to experience in the hours that were to come. And verse 4, we're going to finish with just this verse. Jesus says, abide in me. 
as I abide in you. Just as the branch, which is us, cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. And so the message for this morning as we close it up, if there's only one thing you're worried about day to day is to be connected to Jesus. Be connected to the vine. And in today's world is, if you are the, I guess the cell phone would be a better, right? If you are your cell phone, make sure that you remain connected to the energy source that will supply life to your device. Because there are so many other things that promise to give you life. There are substances in our lives that say, if you just have a little bit of this, you're going to feel happier. There's a myth that says that the more money we have or the more money we have in our savings account, the better life will be. There's a myth that says that if our company makes this much money and I get this much of a bonus, then my life will be better. There's a myth that says that if I just marry the right person, then my life will be happier. Those are all myths. The only truth that we have is that if you are connected to Jesus, you will not only live the fullness of life now, but in the age that is to come, you will have the assurance of salvation.